like what you believe makes a good company and how you put that into practice. And that's, of course, kind of banal to say, but it also very quickly becomes very real yeah. in the things that you've just described. Um, so in, in concrete terms, I mean, you, you know, you, you contrasted, um, for example, GitLab um, against companies like, um, or Duist against yeah. companies like, um, I don't even want to talk about X, but I could, it's, um, we know the names. We don't have to mention <laughs> um, them. Yeah. And uh, so I think a fundamental issue is that the incentives are exact, like the, the, these companies are all ex acting exactly in the way that the incentives are set up. Like Twitter, um, like many other companies, has been initially driven and made large by VC, um, where yeah. the whole incentive is to drive ginormous profits um, because the reality of VC is also that a lot of companies that venture capitalists are investing into are not doing well and they're at some point just shutting down and so the companies that do well also have to kind of um, make up for these losses yes. that are in other companies. Today's guest is Lena Reinhardt who has dedicated her career to helping technology leaders build successful engineering organizations. Her background includes roles such as VP of Engineering at CircleCI and Travis CI, along with being a co-founder and CEO of a SaaS startup. She's committed her career to supporting leaders and their teams during times of rapid change and tough market conditions. Lina's supported a diverse range of companies across the globe, from early stage startups to scale-ups, corporations and NGOs. She now works as a leadership coach, management trainer and organizational developer. This episode is brought to you by Swarmia, the engineering effectiveness platform for modern software organizations. Swarmia gives engineering leaders, managers and teams full visibility into business outcomes, developer productivity, and developer experience. CTOs, VPs, and engineering directors use Swarmia to answer questions like, is the work we are doing moving the business in the right direction? How are our strategic initiatives progressing? With these insights, they are able to proactively eliminate bottlenecks. Engineering teams, on the other hand, use Swarmia to speed up code reviews, identify and fix slow CI builds, and improve collaboration. Swarmia is trusted by hundreds of modern engineering organizations. You can read more and get started with the 14-day free trial at swarmia.com. Hey, Lina, welcome, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Luca. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm excited as well. And as you know, you are the very first guest of our brand new podcast. Uh, and honestly, an I, yeah, and I couldn't think of a better guest to begin with. So I'm really excited to have this chat and thank you again. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about sort of kicking off the year. I'm honestly still wrapping my head around this. I had all these great plans of sort of having a strategy and all plans and whatnot figured out for yeah. the new year. But, um, well, then reality happened. Yes. And so um, it's honestly been really interesting for me also to think about, you know, planning for the year and what it means to kind of be in the in the industry at this point in time and how to make that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'm excited about the, uh, the theme that we chose about uh, this conversation, right? So we had a back and forth in the previous days talking about this theme, uh, which is about 
leading and managing engineering teams while trying to stay human in 2024, where mm. 2024 stands for, you know, the subtext is difficult times. You know, we, uh, we are living uh, under stressful and under pressure, uh, for at least that's the reality for many teams, many companies. Uh, and so to, to start with, uh, I was curious about your uh, point of view about this, because you are an executive coach, you work with companies all the time, you help them with strategy. Uh, so my first question would be, what does the landscape look like from your point of view? Are these difficult times for people in tech indeed? I loved when you brought up that question, because I think even that question alone, we could probably talk five hours about and still not have an entirely yeah. clear conclusion. Um, so I would say there are a couple layers that I look at this. Like my work is usually essentially about helping people build successful systems of business, tech, humans, um, and navigate the complexity that comes with those systems. And so I want to just look at it briefly from the systemic side first. Um, so systemic wise, there's of course the question of what is the tech industry even? Um, and then of course that industry doesn't exist in isolation. Um, there are a lot of global events um, that are just rough. A lot of economies are struggling and all of that is yeah. a backdrop. And at the same time, also one of the factors that play into how the tech industry is doing overall. Um, yeah. And so when I say this, I'm looking at things that, for example, the interest rates dropping over the last couple of years, having contributed to the downturn of a lot of tech companies through just VC money being less available, VC space shrinking essentially, um, and therefore like, um, yeah. like a lot of ripple effects kind of causing um, or happening. The uh, Another factor is of course still the effects of the COVID pandemic. A lot of startups, scale-ups over hired during that time. So did a lot of corporations. Yeah. Many of them are still dealing with that. And by dealing with that, it's kind of um, uh, corporate lingo for are still laying off people that they overhired in 2020 yeah. and 2021. Um, I did look earlier at uh, layoffs.fyi. Um, so I find a great source for like, anything tech layoffs related. Um, before Ricky had about 8,000 layoffs this year yeah. almost. And it's like week two and a yeah. half of January. <laughs> insane. Um, yeah. yeah. And then um, I think 420,000 roughly in 22 and 23 combined. Um, and um, it's worth noting there that only about a fourth are of those layoffs are estimated to be software engineers. A lot of roles have been in marketing, HR, talent sourcing, but also in sales companies, yeah. uh, sorry, in sales organizations. Then there's the whole topic of Gen AI, the promise of it versus, you know, the whole question, is this going to take everyone's jobs? Um, yeah. There's... Um, also, if you're thinking about, hey, are we living in difficult times? There's how are companies performing? And um, yes. a lot of tech companies, if you look just at NASDAQ, for example, as um, the trading place for a lot of large tech companies, tech companies have actually been performing quite well. Um, yeah. They had a plunge in 2022, um, but NASDAQ finished um, 23 at like 43% up, um, which is yeah. huge. Um, so financially, kind of not all of those companies, exactly, like they're not all in a bad place. Um, but then I think that's sort of the big backdrop. And then the next layer down is, I think, the topic that we are here to talk about today, which is basically just us as 
people, as people working in this industry, as people being in some sort of leadership function in this industry, where a lot there has changed drastically, like from just the shift in essentially what I would describe more of an employee market um, to an yeah. employer's market. Yeah. Um, salaries have gone stagnant um, or even lower um, mm -hmm. than in previous years. Job availability is different. A lot more engineers are talking about struggling to find jobs or being concerned about their jobs. A lot of companies are pushing for return to office. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies have been somewhat explicitly, somewhat implicitly squashing unionization efforts um, yeah. in part of this as well. Um, and then 2024 is a big election year. The whole question yes. of like Gen AI and all that is already playing a big role in conversations about this. Like Congress passed some legislation in the US. Um, and then lastly, there is the very individual layer of like, how are we all doing? Yes. Um, and then of course, like, As people, the, you know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And even so what the tech industry even is for us um, varies. I mean, I personally, I've worked with people across the globe. My clients currently are from the east coast of Australia to the west coast of the US, um, but like the long distance, not the short one. And, <laughs> um, and what they're experiencing varies greatly. A lot of folks on the west coast of the US have been impacted really drastically with like you know, startups having to do big layoffs, whereas on the east coast it's already been slightly different. In yeah. Europe, the impact has been much more varied. Um, so it's not like there is just one quote unquote industry. Um, and that also means the individual impacts just vary quite a lot. So basically to say, I mean, I worked in finance during the 2008 financial crisis, um, which was not good, not <laughs> yeah. good times either. Um, yeah. I found that one bit that's particularly striking at the moment is that similarly to what I experienced back then, the situation is just very complex. There are a lot of different factors going into even just what it means to kind of be in this industry and kind of keeping yeah. up with what's going on in the industry has always been a big part of working in tech. Um, and so it's not like um, that can just be shut out for most yes. of us. Um, and then there is just the personal of it in the sense of like, am I able to do my job, have a job, pay my rent and my bills? And yeah, exactly. what does the day-to-day -day look like? Am I dealing with, you know, am I working with teams and dealing with employees who are just happily, you know, putting yeah. new features out or whatnot? Or am I working all day with people who are scared about whether they are going to be able to pay their bills in the next couple of weeks? And yeah. so I think there is a lot where that kind of systemic cannot be separated from the individual. And now yeah. I'll pause because I know that was a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but I, I think... Uh... I think it's incredible that you can uh, articulate how these difficult times uh, get different shapes also in difficult markets, difficult environments mm -hmm. by working with so many different clients. And, and, but I think it uh, shows how in different ways this affects both big companies and startups, both, both mm -hmm. US and, and companies in Europe and in other parts of the world. So uh, it's kind of systemic, but in a different way in, you know, it, each part of the ecosystem in a, in a different way. And mm -hmm. yeah. it's particularly interesting to me how these challenging times then uh, shape uh, and the culture and change the, the way we talk about engineering culture and the way companies are run. Um, mm -hmm. And it feels like uh, when bad stuff happens, the natural response uh, is always to, you know, tighten up 
you know, to, uh, mm. to ask more out of people or you mentioned mm. return to office policies and, 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 you know, reducing benefits and, and more things. And, uh, I feel like in the, in the, in the recent years, there has been, uh, I mean, there have always kind of been, but it's like a pendulum that swings sometimes hard and sometimes uh, less hard. Uh, some kind of divide in tech between companies that are more on the calm side, let's say, th that do things uh, thoughtfully, asynchronously, remote first, mm. maybe think of the GitLab uh, doists of the world mm. mm -hmm. versus companies that are more about hustling, you know, uh, intensity, mm -hmm. Elon style, startup culture, being all in the same room, long hours and more. And mm -hmm. so it feels sometimes that we should like choose between either pushing for more results or caring about the well-being of our team, right? Like it's mm -hmm. an awful choice. Uh, but is, mm -hmm. is it true in your opinion or we can kind of bridge this gap somehow? Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the crux of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Because like one of the, the points that I also think about a lot and talk about a lot is generational shifts in the industry. Yeah. Um, for example, like the whole topic of Gen Z folks entering the workforce, um, progressing over time. Like at this point, there's also much more millennials in leadership positions. Boomers are starting to retire. And of course, there are a lot of like stereotypes and cliches attached with like, generational discussions. Yeah. But um, there are also statistics that, for example, show that folks who are younger, Gen Z, um, for example, are demanding more and are setting more boundaries um, and wanting different workplaces and do want workplaces to function in different ways. So I think it's not an answer to your question, but I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. Um, I yeah. think right now, my impression is that a lot of companies are essentially somewhat forcing or at least pushing um, for people to decide and they're currently in a position to do so. So basically yeah. are pushing for people to decide if they want to work in a way that's very much about that intensity that you described um, or if honestly in a lot of cases basically I would even go one step further basically say um, if they're willing to um, accept the company as it is dictated by yeah. the company itself. Um, I mean, a lot of return to office mandates I would basically put into the same bucket um, where um, executive teams are essentially oftentimes using those as a way to do layoffs, period, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, of, yeah. Oftentimes not I, quite explicitly so. Um, yeah. And so I think this shouldn't have to be a choice. I do think, yeah. of course, within the larger constraints of companies are there to at least make a zero at the end of the year in the sense yeah. that like, even if it's not big profits, um, but like not spending more than they're making, that's kind of a thing. Um, and um, within that and within all the consequences come of that come of a system that operates like that, I do think it is still... It shouldn't have to be a choice to be a workplace and run a workplace that is not treating humans poorly and where people yeah. can do a job within all the constraints of like, I mean, also have systems that are like inherently 
um, like built on racism and um, other yeah. you know terrible terrible dynamics. That's not again like tech is in isolation. At the same time, it should be possible to have basically decent jobs where people can make a living and where it doesn't have to be about um, just grinding people down and burning them out. I think it shouldn't be this way. I also do believe, especially as leaders, um, it is on us to yeah. push companies to do better. I also know that an individual leader's ability to actually do that and like speak up and try and make better systems for the employees, that ability can be very limited. Um, and um, But yeah, to your question, <laughs> long way to say I don't think it should be a choice but unfortunately at the moment it still is for a lot of people especially if they want to keep a job yeah I mean what do you think yeah I think it shouldn't be a choice either um I think that uh performance in terms of you know how much a team is gonna accomplish is uh it's a long game where especially hmm. uh we we, we are all uh, knowledge workers and and I think that software engineering is a creative job and what goes into you know the the performance and the the, the quality of the output of a creative job uh, is not much about intensity or the number of hours that that you you put in it but rather uh, your your mental state you know how how you are feeling your purpose, how you're feeling uh, well, yeah, you're, you're not stressed, you know, that. So mm -hmm. I think four hours spent in a healthy environment when you're, you're rested and not burned out are worth so much more than, I don't know, long hours in a toxic environment. But then I think you're right that um, it depends also on individual people, generational things, and different people are uh, motivated by different things. So you can probably build a company hiring only extremely driven people who are happy to work, you know, long hours, maybe they're young, they have not a lot of family duties and le less constraints. And, uh, but of course, uh, if you want to build, you know, a resilient, diverse company, big company that can you know go through the years and um i think you don't have any choice the, the only choice is caring about the, the well-being of people and the well-being of the uh, of the environment i even think and i would i'm curious uh, what you think about this I, I think that many of these policies that feel a little bit rushed you know return to office and, and many of these especially in big tech like more of a reaction to the market and doing what the market and you know shareholders and uh, expect the company to do rather than mm. you know believing that this actually makes things better not saying this is mm. always the case but sometimes you know there are expectations that you have to do something and and you do what is expected even though it's not sure that it would bring results mm. yeah i mean I think I agree with what you just said, and I would even maybe go one step further where ultimately there is a question of how you believe, like what you believe makes a good company 
and how you put that into practice. And that's, of course, kind of banal to say, but it also very quickly becomes very real yeah. in the things that you've just described. Um, so in, in concrete terms, I mean, you, you know, you, you contrasted, um, for example, GitLab um, against companies like, um, or Doist against yeah. companies like, um, I don't even want to talk about X, but I, it's... Um, we know the names. We don't, even, yes, we, don't, exactly. we don't have to mention them. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think a fundamental issue is that the incentives are exact, like the, the, these companies are all ex acting exactly in the way that the incentives are set up. Like Twitter, um, like many other companies, has been initially driven and made large by VC, um, where yeah. the whole incentive is to drive ginormous profits um, because the reality of VC is also that a lot of companies that venture capitalists are investing into are not doing well and they're at some point just shutting down and so the companies that do well also have to kind of um, make up for these losses yes. that are in other companies and so that's the environment and that of course also means I don't think it's impossible <laughs> but it's very likely going to attract leaders that believe that this is what's needed um, yeah. and that set up systems and processes where basically like, yeah, the main employees you can have are the type you described that are young and have like nothing else that they want from their life and you know good for them mm -hmm. um, but it also um, sets a tone it sets a culture for the organization yes. whereas companies like GitLab and Doist I don't know personally how exactly they run but the way that they are set up I think Basecamp used to be an example I have some but yeah. um that are set up with the fundamental idea that we want to run a business, we want to, we want this business to do well. I mean, Basecamp, even they talk about how they were initially like set up from the get-go to make a profit. Um, yes. So because those profits are crucial, but at the same time, they're not there to take over the world. They're not necessarily, their idea is not necessarily to just maximize profits, but to be in it for the long haul. And yes. I think as long as those different systems exist, I think it's going to be very hard. Like if the incentives are already set up that way, it's going to be very hard to really operate in a different way. I don't think it's impossible. I also don't think if your company is VC funded, you can't treat your employees decently. <laughs> Not at all. I think that's possible. But it's going to mean that at some level, the incentives are going to crash and there's going to be tension. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So let's say that... Uh, because you said something before that is, it's on us, it's on leaders, you know, engineering leaders to create an environment that uh, is supportive and conductive of good work and is healthy and so on. Uh, so let's say we are in a position to do so. So we, we, are, we need to manage under pressure. We, we are living in challenging times, but we want to do our best to, um, to create a healthy team that puts people in condition to do their best. Um, what should we do in terms of, you know, running our team and possibly, I think, taking care of ourselves as well, because we are people, as you said, and uh, mm -hmm. we are sometimes uh, the ones that are the most under pressure, maybe from, from upper levels and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think on the, like, we are people part, it's, that part is often tricky for a lot of us, I mean, I've also, I honestly still find it tricky um, in that um, just through the positions we're in, the context we have, having direct reports if you're a people manager or 
being in a lot of you know, meetings with higher level business leaders because you're a technical leader and you have conversations with them. That comes with institutional power, which also means that um, we are experiencing even these difficult times often differently. I mean, a lot of managers are informed of layoffs before the employees are. Yes. Um, and so that also makes the whole like, yeah, being a human and impacted by those things, but also having some sort of power that makes it tricky. Um, I don't think there are ways to really solve that, but I always find it important to just acknowledge it as a starting point. Yeah. Um, and so I, I also think um, it can be worth looking at essentially what's what can make the current times practically challenging. Um, and I like honestly, I'm also you know I'm I'm not above any of this. So I, um, and so I would say a couple of things that I found are one part is just keeping up with the change rate of the industry, mm -hmm. and of course the change rate of the industry often also quite directly impacts that companies are changing a lot. Like, you know, a lot of startups have pivoted really hard um, to a new yes. strategy over the last year or as revenue has changed and whatnot. Um, then there's, of course, like taking people along with those changes, helping them understand what's happening um, and contextualizing and, and talking about you know, frustrations, passing on feedback, those things. At the same time, that's often meant having limited influence and for a lot of people like having some sort of impact, control, predictability can be really important. Um, and so that also means that just one of the core needs that a lot of us just as humans have um, is threatened, which then can trigger like just an amygdala hijack where just our brain moves into stress yeah. mode, basically. Um, then many of us also have questions about our own careers, like what does it mean to be a leader? A lot of companies have laid off a lot of middle managers. Um, currently, it can be really hard to move into one of those roles if you haven't mm -hmm. been in one yet, or even if you have, honestly. And like, yeah, what's your career going to look like? And so basically to say one part is just a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And like, of course, especially if you're like, or many of us, especially if you have an engineering background, your impulse might also, or instinct might also be to try and remove as much of that uncertainty as possible. But yes. that's just not really possible right now because so much as we as we talked about is just at a level that's like it's like above my pay grade and probably above the pay grade of like anyone already because we're talking about you know VC and interest rates yes. and global financial markets like I don't I don't um so it's a lot. Um and so um keeping up with that and not being able to really do much about it. And then at the on the other end there's a lot of emotional labor, like a lot of difficult mm. conversations. Um, and oftentimes a lot of also figuring out where do I stand versus what does the company need? Um, like when companies are pushing through return to office policies, for example, and I mean, we all know the statistics that productivity is actually better in distributed and tech remote teams, but that's not keeping companies to your point earlier. It's not keeping companies from demanding return yes. to office. And so you're kind of in the middle between, well, the company wants this to happen. I kind of need to do it, but also I know my employees are going to hate it and I'm also not exactly a big fan. Um, yeah. And that means there's just ultimately a lot of tension um, that's playing out in that. And so I'm saying all of that quite, um, uh, spending quite a lot of time on it, admittedly, in just a big part of our job as leaders, no matter if you're a technical or a people leader, is 
dealing with ambiguity and the amount of ambiguity that we're dealing with individually mm. and collectively is as high as it's probably been last during the pandemic, Yeah, but not for a while before that. And that also means we've been dealing with a ton of ambiguity over the last five years. Yeah. And that is hard. That is stressful yeah. for a lot of people. And so even just acknowledging that um, can be a big part of that because there are a lot of things that we can't individually do much about. Um, and same for the people around us. Um, and I found that that in itself can be quite freeing. And honestly, if you can find people to talk to about this, I mean, the refactoring community is a great, you know, could be a great place for that. Um, like speak with other people about it as well. Um, because yeah. yeah, we're all struggling with this. Um, so yeah, what are, what are things that you found that people can do to take care of themselves? Or what, are, what do you do, Luca? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think it's hard and especially because, you know, uh, it's hard to assess your own um, state of, you know, state of mind, your own, whether you're, you're more stressed, you have more energy because mm -hmm. many of these changes in your personal state are not, uh, do not happen, you know, all of a sudden they're like slow changes sometimes and so they're even hard to detect. Um, so I think when you, when you said, talk with other people, you know, uh, check, uh, off with each other, you know, how, how you are feeling. That's very important because other people may spot changes in your behavior and, and how, in how you're doing things that you're not even be able to detect yourself. Mm, um, but, and, and I, th I think another challenging thing is that I think on a rational level, we all agree that we should take care of ourselves you know it's not like there is somebody who thinks we we, we, we shouldn't uh right but but we don't know except for elon maybe yeah. but <laughs> exactly unnecessary. Uh, but, but we don't know to uh how much ex extent you know we, we we have a ton of other things to do and we maybe sometimes we think we are doing just fine and and so we, we can just continue mm. to push more work instead of you know taking some space for uh, for for yourself and so I think mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out um, how you're you're feeling how you're doing and adjust you know your priorities to shift mm -hmm. more towards yourself mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's this ultimately is is very important because I, I've been a founder my main professional experience I mean the, my longest one has been that of a of a founder for mm -hmm. almost 10 years and I think for founders, it's, it's, uh, all of this is amplified in the sense that people really mm -hmm. feed off your energy, your optimism, mm -hmm. your positivity. So you you have to project this to your team. Otherwise, you know, uh, the, all the other, the other people who work with you are just, you know, to your own level of uh, energy and activity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you're falling off a cliff, you know, slowly but surely, then all the team gets less things done uh, and everything happens ever so slowly um, and you don't even notice you know because it, it's a slow change uh, and i think this is true for for managers i mean for all people in a leadership position and um, which makes taking care of ourselves very very important but in my experience the hardest part is detecting uh, the, these symptoms mm. so i don't know mm -hmm. how how you how you do about this Hmm. Um, I was just going to ask, have you found things that help you detect 
with how you're doing? Also scan yeah. like some observability that you've built in? <laughs> yes, some of the, yes, I, I installed some I have some script here, some snippets nice. for that. Yes. <laughs> um, one thing that has helped me uh, both, you know, in my times as in, in a regular company and also right now that I'm more of a full-time writer, so I'm more of a loner, it's, it's, it's even harder, you know. Uh, it's um, one thing that helped me is journaling. So writing things down, writing my thoughts down, uh, things that I'm grateful for, things that I'm worried about, random morning thoughts. Uh, and when I was a manager, things that uh, come up in, in one-on-ones and whenever I have chat with people, and then reviewing things that I write from time to time, you know. Um, I think the, this has been helpful in um, in many departments, let's say, both, you know, for my own even happiness, because being grateful for things, writing down things that I do, I found it helps me, uh, helps my mental state keeping up with things. And also makes me more aware of patterns of my own behavior that otherwise I wouldn't notice. I mean, because I, one thing that I've always noticed when I'm more stressed is that there, there are things that at some point I'm not able to keep up with anymore. Uh, maybe not the core parts of my life, you know, the, the core things that I do in my life, they're, they're stable that I keep doing them, but there are, you know, some corner things, some, you know, more fringe stuff that I'm doing less well. You know, maybe I'm, I don't know, ordering more food instead of preparing meals, or I'm mm -hmm. working out a little, little bit more, not just giving up completely, but a little bit more. So you're, uh, you're giving up a few things because you're stressed, you're tired. And not, it's not about time. It's about more brain space. It's about having the space for, for doing things. And if I write more things down, there are higher chances that I spot this. And mm -hmm. if I talk with people also, your, your suggestion is great because other people notice also. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, the two things that these are having in common is that it doesn't come from, from you thinking about things. It comes from either, you know, writing on paper or all the mm -hmm. people telling you. Mm -hmm. So you have to get out of your own head, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's a great, like the journaling is a great practice. And, you know, I love that it's been helpful for you. And I I would um, add to that or expand on it really. So like figure out things that are good for you. Um, like there is a... Um, I love the concept of quote unquote boring self-care yeah. in the sense of like, you know, go for walks, um, eat decent food, um, stay hydrated. Like the things that we all know we kind of yes. need to do <laughs> and yes. that are shockingly uh, hard to do consistently sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so figure out what those things are that are important for you and do them and this like yeah it's it's kind of easy to say i honestly um am struggling with this as well like i'm admitting to well not hypocrisy because i at least admit it but i'm not perfect at all of this at all times and i've really found the community aspect is really important because um oftentimes there's also a bit of um, if you're familiar with the meme i'll call it am i the drama or a reality check like is it me um Am I doing things wrong or is it my company? Is it the environment that's quote unquote broken? And that kind of perspective can be really helpful. Um, yes. I would also add um, in terms of taking care of yourself, um, I would encourage you to basically think about how you view your role. Yes. And that's something really abstract to say, but 
you may have heard that um, there's a bit of a, it's not an outdated view of management, but it's one that's been around quite long of managers being a um, fire shield or a, I'm not going to swear, so I'll call it a shirt umbrella. Um, so the, yes. the idea of um, managers or leaders as kind of buffers and as the shock absorbers for yes. the teams. And I will admit that I'm a bit too minded about this because I do think there is a bit of a point to this, especially if you're a middle manager. So you have other leaders reporting to you um, in the sense that your job isn't to just pass everything that you're hearing from an executive straight to everyone on your teams and expose them to a bunch of ambiguity and yes. probably chaos. <laughs> yes that's going on at the same time you shouldn't be the person who's just eating all of that up and then yeah. storing it and at some point you explode in either a burnout or a rage quit or something yeah. else and this is something that's really hard to do in practice um, and that um, honestly all of us i think have to figure out over time um, on how to do it well but i always encourage leaders to think of themselves maybe more as um a bit of a, oh, I can't think of the word, obviously. Um, it's not necessarily a sieve, but it's it's more of a membrane. I think that's yeah. the one where things pass through. You, you pass on information to others, but really the function is that of a translator, where you don't necessarily translate everything verbatim, but oftentimes more interpret things for people, which still means you aren't just absorbing all of the ambiguity around yes. you. Um, but you're involving the people in your teams in it. And that's very, you know, core, agile and DevOps culture and whatnot. But I do think that part can also be really helpful because if you view yourself as the person who has to fix everything yes. before it lands with your engineers, um, you're just going to have a really hard time and you're very likely going to grind yourself down even further. Um, and, you know, again, ideally, the company around you would be perfectly functioning and everything would be rosy at all times. It's just not how life works. Yes. And so um, it can be worth sitting down and thinking about, you know, what do you value? Um, how do you communicate things? How do you view the, the your work with the engineers on your teams? Is it a partnership where you believe that they also, you know, yes. can know some things that are maybe difficult or that aren't easy to and don't have straightforward answers? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very important topic. I mean, in my experience, uh, I don't think I ever found myself in a, in a situation where I said something to my team. I mean, I passed down some information and then I regretted it. You know, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. in doubt, uh, I found it all, always better to over communicate and then than keeping things for myself mm -hmm. because i think uh that keeping things for yourself you know thinking that maybe you're protecting your team kind of always uh means you're you're trying to babysit people uh that mm -hmm. means that are more than capable of you know handling whatever you're keeping from them and even helping you in, in handling this probably and and also because on the other side there are people who are probably uh, fearing that you're holding something from them. I mean, they're, they are mm -hmm. living in this ambiguity. So I think sometimes it's hard because, as you said before, 
especially in big companies, there are things as a manager that fly over your head, you don't even know yourself. So uh, like in layoffs cases, I mean, in many cases, managers don't, don't know anything about what will go, it's going to happen in their teams. But I think it's healthier and creates better you know, environment to just, you know, say transparently that you don't know. You don't know and, and you, you will tell uh, them as soon as you know something and these are all the terms and all the things that you know and don't know rather than, you know, messing around, not being, being a little bit shady uh, because I don't know, you, maybe you're embarrassed and this, that you, you should know, you know, it's, uh, it's totally human and natural, but, uh, you know, trans bad news that is transparent is honest and is better than uh, ambiguity. I mean, ambiguity is particularly killer. I, I love that you use this term because people uh, get uneasy with that and creates a lot of stress. So mm -hmm. um, I, I agree with this. And I also think that sometimes there a lot of stress doesn't necessarily come from the amount of work, uh, but from these circumstances. So uh, you don't get sometimes burned out because you work long hours, but you work maybe normal number of hours, even maybe fewer than other people, but uh, it's stressful or you don't see your purpose, you don't see a lot of impact or you're, you know, you, you have to deal with ambiguity. So we associate burnout with too much work, but it's not always the case. Maybe mm -hmm. not, not most of the cases even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even recognizing the signs of burnout um, and knowing what those are and what they look like in yourself as well as in others can also be an important part of this. Um, obviously not therapists or like qualified to do diagnosis, um, but being able to spot certain patterns around it can be really helpful. And I would also add, okay, like the way you put this, where like a lot of leadership is it like starts with knowing yourself and yeah. Um, if you want a framework for thinking about this, I can highly recommend the Biceps Framework by Paloma Medina. Um, it's about human core needs. It's also a beautiful acronym. Um, yeah. I can put a link in here shortly. I think sure. I have it in my Please. browser history right there. Um, and uh, the core needs that it outlines are, for example, belonging, predictability, which goes to like struggling with ambiguity, for example. Um, but also fairness, equality, um, and usually most folks have sort of two-ish, two to three core needs that are really strong. Um, not everything is equally important for everyone, and sort of understanding that can give you a really helpful framework for recognizing your own reactions and for even just noticing and putting words to, oh, this is triggering my need. For example, like I'm a structured person. I've, I've have I've had troubles like learning to deal with ambiguity, but I had to because I've been working in startups for 15 years now. Um, and so, um, but for me, at some point, being able to put words to that and just say, "Oh, okay, this is triggering a core need of mine, which is predictability." Um, how can I deal with that now? Um, yes. And it can also be a great framework to talk with your teammates. Um, Paloma has um, coaching exercises, even a team team check. And I'm not getting paid to say any of this. It's an open source. <laughs> it's released under Creative Commons license. Um, but having basically having words and understanding for yourself and the people that you're working with can be really helpful in just navigating, just dealing with a lot of ambiguity, with a lot of change. Yeah. 
Yeah, please then leave the link in the in the comments, and I will put it also in the in the podcast episode. I'm excited to check uh, to check it out, and also I take the chance to uh, tell everybody in the audience if they want to to write some questions. There's been quite a conversation actually. I'm scrolling the comments between Chris and Abdullah Had, so I will catch up with that. And then in the meantime, if you have uh, specific questions, please leave them here, and and we will pick uh, them up later. Um, and while you were talking, I was thinking, uh, so we have said that we should work on this, on improving the environment, on making it healthier um, for, for yourself as a leader, as a manager, and for, for people on your team. Uh, but then, we, as we all know, uh, uh, aside from this, you have all your other duties, you know, as a manager that comes with, you know, hiring, planning, uh, dealing with all the daily work. So my question is, and I think that resonates with many people, how do you invest in, in improving this kind of environment? How do you invest in these things? How much do you invest in that as opposed to, you know, doing other work and how do you do it uh, on a practical level? Even, you know, tips or tricks, I think, uh, are very useful here. Yeah. Um, so... Honestly, that's that question is one I've grappled with often in my career, and I would also want to start answering this by saying, if you're a leader who has people reporting to you, don't stay longer than you can in order to protect the people working on your team. And I say that um, not just because I've done this, I've stayed in roles longer than I should have because I thought it was a way to protect the people working with me. Um, but I also hear that from a lot of leaders who are burnt out, who are exhausted, who feel like things are not getting better in their roles, whatever their reasons are, but who also tell me, hey, I'm staying for another couple months, half a year, because I'm afraid that if I leave, things are going to get really bad for the employees. Mm -hmm. And mm. I get that. I also am going to walk, walk slightly back what I said initially. Like, obviously, you make the choices you make. I would just say that the motivation is great, but I've also seen a lot of people do really bad damage to their own well-being and to their own health, especially as a result of that, out of the motivation to protect their employees. Um, Organizations are set up to function without you. Yeah. Um, things may be um, staying or things may be um, not going as bad immediately. Um, if you stick around at the same time, you're maybe just delaying the inevitable. Um, and at yeah. the same time, there's also what you mentioned earlier, Luca, around um, we are all adults. <laughs> Um, in these workplaces and um, people have to make their own choices um, and protecting them from bad things that are happening around you is not going to help them yeah. in a really sustainable way either. This is a difficult topic, um, but I also, especially a lot of leaders who really care about their employees um, tend to do things like this and it can just get really dangerous. That's why I wanted to say that. Yeah. And that also includes how much work you're putting into changing things. Um, yeah. I will say the whole question of like how much can you actually change such an environment is tricky um, because of course the first part 
that you have to ask yourself is basically what is your area of impact or influence you yeah. know for example do you and what do you care about changing if for example i've been in a lot of higher leader level leadership roles i work with a lot of people in executive or senior manager positions um, for them the main area where they can actually have substantial impact is the people who are reporting to them uh, who are in the teams um, that are below them in the organization and they want to do best by those people at the same time they might be able to give feedback on an hr policy um, but that's it and that feedback might get ignored or someone may say well we're going to do it anyway um, and so I think it's really hard to answer in general. I would say my general rule of thumb um, would be invest, invest as much as you want to, invest as much as you can do in a way that's not going to ruin your own well-being. Um, and also, if you're in a mode where, okay, things are not great here, I'm going to do what I can to be able to look at myself in the mirror in the mm. next months um, and, you know, make decisions that are aligned with my values um then you know that's also fine you don't have to try and change the environment you're in um so yeah i i think it's really tricky um but it's i feel like it's a question that a lot of people struggle with i mean yeah how, how have you dealt with this or what do you recommend to people lena sorry can, can you hear me can you see me because i've lost you for a few seconds i think it was my Oh, uh, no. My, um, my bad. Yes, I yeah. can hear you and see you um, and was just asking you what you think. So this okay. is perfect. <laughs> no, I think um, while you were, okay, um, while you were speaking, I was thinking that when you mentioned that there are things that are out of your control, so you have to make peace with that and recognize the boundary of, you know, your impact. And then if you feel like you have to go, you do not have to feel that. Uh, you're, you know, letting down your team or not protecting your team. I think this is very true. And it's like, uh, there are versions of this type of reasoning at any scale, because, you know, the, the largest is like the, of this type of decisions is, can I leave my, my role or my, or the, this company or this team or not? And then there is like a smaller scale that is, can I take time off? You know, because many people mm -hmm. resist that, that and it's type of the same thing. And, and mm -hmm. then there is, you know, the, the, the daily version of this that is, okay, should I work long hours or can I just, you know, leave at 5 p.m. and trust that things will be okay. And, uh, and I think that the reality check is that in, in most of these situations, when you, when you take the, the, the road that leads to, you know, taking more care of yourself, you figure out that nothing disastrous really happens. Actually, I mean, people turn out fine. And if, if you don't work till 8 p.m., if you take time off, if you leave your role. Uh, so, I mean, when in doubt, choo choosing for your own well-being uh, is, uh, is safe, I would say. So I agree mm -hmm. uh, with, um, with your take. And, and that's something that I've, I mean, I've heard over and over and, and it ties with, uh detecting your you know your own emotional state and also finding your own you know non-negotiables you know your basics of uh taking care of yourself that i think you sh and i think it also sets a good example for people that work with you i mean uh you set an example as a manager the way you work they would they would how much you work how much you don't work 
for people to feel they have permission, you know, to work a little bit less, to take time, time off. Uh, so your behavior uh, is crucial in shaping that kind of environment. So uh, if you work too much thinking that you're protecting people, you should also think that you're projecting that to, that maybe they should work as much, you know, and that, that's mm -hmm. not what, what, what you want, but that's what maybe they're receiving. And mm -hmm. so uh, you should set an example uh, in, in that as well. I think that's a really good call out, like the, like, yeah, the example you're setting, as well as the point you made about yeah, how it's not just in the big decisions, but also just in the day-to-day. -day. Um, and I think to kind of one point that everything we've talked about so far between like taking care of yourself and of your team and then like the environment the common denominator is that ultimately a big part of i think honestly doing okay as a leader this year or even like thriving succeeding whatnot um is like don't make things dependent on you and yes. you alone um I think, and in my experience, effective leadership is about being able to build systems that yes. work. Um, and this building systems also means that you are not the bottleneck. You're not yes. the person that everything relies on. You're not the person that has to sign off on everything. Um, there are people um, and there are processes and structures. Um, you know, even simple things like, does everyone have to... Um, go to this one meeting every week to hear about the status of projects or is there yes. some place where they can just go look whenever they need that information yes um, i don't by the way like i don't care if you have meetings or not I know other people have <laughs> spicy thoughts on this i don't um, make them useful and your meetings are going to be fine but the point being um instead of answering to 10 different people about the status of projects give them a place to look um, yes. instead of um being the person that writes development plans for all your direct reports like the people on your team can do that themselves they know yes. where they want to grow their career yes you should give them feedback yes your job is to make sure they get opportunities where they can grow their impact yes but you're not the person who has to handhold everyone on your team through this you're also yeah. not the person who has to keep all the information about how the company is doing to themselves um, and then yeah. um, spoon feed it uh, sort of mama bird style um, to your um, yeah. to your employees um, again like they are adults um, yes they may struggle with it but also they 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 should know, they deserve to know. Um, and so um, think about, yeah, systems, processes, structures, yeah. um, pulling more people in, delegating things um, instead of thinking that you have to have all the answers. Like you mentioned that earlier, which I thought was great. Um, and thinking that you have to have it all figured out because in terms of honestly leading in times that are highly ambiguous, that are challenging, that are complex for a lot of us, um, not having everything have to go through you is a huge part. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. But I think, you know, that this is not easy for many people because it requires letting go some some ego, you know, because, you know, when there are things and communication flows that pass through you. Um, but even, you know, it's it's not a, you know, toxic thing. It's just that you think that you you associate your own value, you know, with the thing that you, you are doing these things. Um, mm -hmm. That That's your place, you know. Uh, while instead, uh, you should replace that mindset with the fact that you're creating systems, you know, you're building, even if you're, if you're a manager, 
you're not making, you know, software maybe anymore. You're not a maker of software anymore. You're a maker of systems and processes that have mm -hmm. to work uh, with as, as, as least friction as possible, uh, possibly without you or with minimal involvement. Mm -hmm. I remember um, one, one investor of mine uh, told me once that one of the main duties of a founder is to replace yourself continuously. That is being very, you know, self-aware of what are the times that you spend, the things that you spend your time on, and then either continuously, you know, automate them or delegate them to uh, to somebody else. And and while I mean, maybe for a founder this is extreme because startups need to scale and grow all the time, etc. I think that is true for, for managers as well, that they need to create processes that work better and better without, mm -hmm. you know, the, the need for human input and, and, you know, meetings and synchronous communication and stuff. So I think it's a healthy um, mindset for to, mm -hmm. to adopt. Well, and it's also, I think you briefly touched on it. Um, I think the advice you got is great. I think that puts it really well. and. I think there's also a part that's really hard in that like um, a lot of sort of stuff about leadership that gets thrown around is like, oh, you know, what do managers even do? Or, you know, uh, yeah, they're yeah. Are they just sitting in meetings all day. What the, what the heck? What is that even worth? <laughs> like, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people just talk a lot of crap about that. Um, but I don't want to really speak to this. Um, but I think there is a really tricky part in that. Um, especially if you've been an engineer for a long time, um, like feeling like you're doing a good job and like you're succeeding and doing great yes. is drastically different in those kinds of leadership roles. Absolutely. Where it gets not necessarily about shipping stuff. A lot of the work you're doing is just never finished. Um, yes. It's just a lot of people things, a lot of business things. And, and it's like, it's a lot. I, I talk about this work in a very like uh, talk about a lot of hard aspects of this work i'm just to be clear i really love it um but it's it's still it's still uh, draining sometimes and so um basically there is a part where it's also about letting go of your ego and yes. of the need to have your work kind of seen and recognized and instead i mean i view my job as building an environment where other people can shine Yes. where people can do great work, they can, like teams can do great work and so can organizations. And that also means that it's not about me. Yes, there is some, there are, there are things where I show up more visibly in the sense of like, I may, you know, talk about our strategy or I may check in with people um, yes. on how things are going um, or set direction and communication is kind of the job anyway. But a lot of it is just in the background. And honestly, the, some of the biggest accomplishments in my career are known by maybe two people. And those people yes. are my boss and one other person who was involved. And that's going to remain the case forever. Yeah. And that's um, been interesting because like, I will admit that, I mean, I too have an ego. I like to you know, get praise for my work. Yeah. Um, I think most people do sure. to some degree. Um, but it also means... Um, and that's why I like the way you described this. Um, there is something about um, it's a very it's it's work that is about being very humble and about being being good with um, doing work that you think is right and yes. that you think is going to lead the risk to the results that the business needs that the people around you need, um, and at the same time not doing it for the recognition. Um, and I think that's 
great. And I think that's a, really a pillar of this work because also like the people who know they will recognize. And um, I always encourage leaders to keep like a document with feedback and praise that yes. they're getting. Um, yes. I have one that's like 10 years old now. And honestly, like, sometimes I, st I, I need to look at that to remind myself of, like why I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, but uh, that also means like in just adjusting your compass um, as to like what matters. And that can also be just a tough transition. Yeah, that's that's another version of journaling. I, I One of the best advices that mm. I got as an inexperienced man manager was to keep like an accomplishment journal, you know, mm -hmm. a, a list of things yeah. that are either praise that you receive, also things that you're proud of that you have done, even if nobody knows, you know, mm -hmm. and reminds you of uh, of your impact of the things that you have done. Because it's true that for managers, sometimes you do work that is not very visible and mm. uh, and you can struggle with that in, because it's true that many people say, um, I don't know what, it, what, what this manager does all the time, but you yourself can struggle with this and trying mm -hmm. to understand what's your place and what's your worth. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, I'm, I'm hopeful about this to, to improve uh, over time because I'm, what I'm seeing is that with technology, of course, and progress, the, the, the more mundane parts of a manager work, let's say, moving stuff around and dealing with, you know, project management stuff is going more and more away. It's going more, it's going to be more and more automated. And uh, we are, we are keeping instead the core, you know, of the fact that you're mentoring people, coaching, sponsoring them, taking care of the growth of your team. These mm -hmm. things are never uh, going away. Uh, and I think that they're, they're going to be a larger and larger part of people, uh, of managers' work and and other things that are worth the most. Uh, but yes, it's tough anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would hope so too. And I think the, the other kind of big skill and part of the work that I don't think is going away is the context. But yeah. where like organizations have so much data, um, even in terms of, project status or um, employee engagement service and whatnot. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more and more tools that attempt to do this, but I keep seeing that one of the biggest values that leaders can add is by providing context. Yes. Um, that includes, I mean, you also touched on the transparency bit a couple of times, like painting a picture for your teams of where things are at. Um, where things were, how far you've come and where you're going. Yes. Um, it's, I always compare it to like a hiking guide. You look at the map, you have the big red dot of like, we are here. And then you look at, hey, what are the surroundings? What's going on? What are the plans now? Which turns are we taking? Um, and that contextualization or even saying, hey, you know, here are five reports. Um, here's what those numbers mean. Here's what those yes. numbers mean in the context of everything I'm hearing from the employees. Um, and so that painting a picture both in managing up like how you talk to your boss as well as like what you share with your employees um that's a really important part and i'm yes. hoping that basically Seriously. having to spend less time and like, like cramming numbers into spreadsheets is going to mean that people and leaders are going to have more space to like think about that context and how to share it with people in a way that yeah is maybe motivating engaging but also transparent and taking them along with changes as they're happening absolutely i agree i agree that uh, good managers and good leaders often act as good, you know, translators and of mm -hmm. this kind of context between their reports, between the, the, the levels they're managing up with, and mm -hmm. it's a crucial role. So uh, I think we have to uh, wrap up, uh, but I think this was a great conversation, Lina, so thank you so much. Mm -hmm 
for uh, for being our first guest and for for taking the time today. Thank you to everyone who showed up. It's uh, about ten people here, so thank you for the great chat that you have also here. So I love that. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much, and and yeah, thank you to everyone who was here. I loved seeing the the chat uh, comments fly by, and like yeah, if you're someone who's you know trying to figure out what to do this year, I really just want to say you've got this. Like you know that it's hard and at the same time like you're working your th way through this and so that alone is worth acknowledging so yeah thank you so much luca um it's been a great pleasure and an honor pleasure has been mine thank you again lena thank mm -hmm. you thank you everyone and have a great day and talk soon bye bye thank you so much for listening if you found this chat valuable you can subscribe to the show on youtube Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Also, please consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that really helps other listeners find the show. You can find all past episodes and learn more about the show at refactoring.fm. See you in the next episode.